Hello, I'm Tim Marlowe, Artistic Director of the Royal Academy of Arts, and this event was part of the Festival of Ideas, an inspiring lineup of talks and debates with innovators from across the arts, brought to you from the new Benjamin West Lecture Theatre. Enjoy the podcast. and welcome to the RA's Festival of Ideas. It's year two. I'm Mary Sackville-West, I'm the producer of the festival, and I am really delighted to welcome you all to this fantastic masterclass in illustration with two of our most brilliant storytellers. Uh, She is the hugely successful author and illustrator whose award-winning stories about wizards and dragons have been read by millions of you around the world. And he is one of our best-loved authors, cartoonists and illustrators. So both of them will be signing after the event, but please put your hands together for Cresta Cow, Chris Riddell. That is amazing, Chris. She, she is, isn't she? Oh, oh no. Um. But can I just say, I can't do that. <laughs> just, we'll we'll just find so, out. We will find so out. I have, I have challenged. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't draw an elephant out of my head like Chris just did that. And I need to say, say that because that requires an astonishing visual memory, which Chris has. But to be an illustrator, you don't need to be able to do that straight off. Everybody is different. I want to say that because... No, that's, that's good, actually, Because Krista. that is quite um, important to stress there's that. There's another thing. There's another thing, actually, and, and I hope sort of drawing live does convey yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that um, if you start to draw, I always think don't rub anything out. Just carry on drawing. If you make a mistake, yeah. pretend you haven't and pretend you meant it. Because I think the best drawings aren't the drawings that are completely perfect and all worked out. Yeah. Sometimes the best drawings are the ones where they're slightly wonky. Something yeah. goes slightly, becomes different. And always keep those drawings. A- a- we're, we're going to enjoy looking the, at your sketchbooks. The sketch accidents, books. you know, the yeah. accidents take you in an interesting place that you didn't necessarily mean to go, you know, hiccup is another name for an accident. Um, and he takes the tribe in a different direction from where they were expecting to go. And that was intentional, by the way. Um, uh, but I so think that's Krista, a very good I'm... point. And it's very anti our education system. I'll go right in <laughs> oh there. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go right in there. Because our education system is very much built up to there's a correct answer, there's an exam at the end, and you have to get the right answer. Yeah? Uh, I mean, that is something that I'm trying to fight against. And, and, Excellent. And, 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 and produce, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and suggest that there needs to be a space in our education system to find the accident and to and to make mistakes. Einstein agreed great. with me, by the way. No, that, he was a very is, clever man. I think and that's brilliant, Chris. It is a miracle that curiosity mm. survives formal education. And I Einstein. love that notion of the accident mm-hmm. in education in everywhere but reception classes, uh, yeah. where it's very different. Yeah. Very different indeed. Yeah. Uh, I just thought I'd put that in there. Um, let's just kick off very quickly. This is uh, outrageous product placement. Uh, poem. Uh, always <laughs> nice to start with a poem. Let's start with a, a poem. This is sort of a little bit on, on message, I suppose. Uh, this is my favourite, favourite poem from Poems to Live Your Life By. Not my title, but, but you know, it seems to sort of work. Um, and this is called... Jabberwocky. Twas brillig and the slidy toes did gyre and gimble in the wabe. All mimsy were the borough groves and the momraths outgrabe. Beware the jabberwock, my son, the jaws that bite, the claws that catch. Beware the jubjub bird and shun the frumious bandersnatch. He took his vorpal sword in hand. Long time the manxome foe he sought. So rested he by the tum-tum tree and stood a while in thought. And as in uffish thought he stood, the jabberwock with eyes of flame came whiffling through the tulgy wood and burbled as it came. One, two, one, two, and through and through the vorpal blade went snicker-snack. He left it dead, and with its head he went galumphing back. And hast thou slain the jabberwock? Come to my arms, my beamish boy. O frabjous day, calloo-callay, he chortled in his joy. T'was brillig. And the slithy toads did gyre and gimble in the wabe. 
all mimsy were the borough groves and the momraths outgrabe. And the Notice reason, he's using all the wrong words there, I by know, the way. Very nice. And the reason I wanted to read that is I thought it would be the perfect introduction to the world of Cresta Cowell. Oh, did you? I think it's very Lewis Carroll. It's very, and we have these amazing books. Can we have a look? Yeah, we certainly can. And can I just say, all, all, a lot of those words you noticed were wrong, um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and he just made them up. And nowadays we'd say that that was, you know, again, in this education system, you know, it, it, that that's the wrong thing to do. But chortled, actually, I think that was the first time that chortled, chortled was great. ever used. Galumphy. He made it up and it's now en entered the dictionary. So I, I just think it's an interesting, and Shakespeare, one of our, it wrote, make, made oh, well, up couldn't an spell astonishing, Shakespeare. Shocking. couldn't spell. Actually, Shakespeare, I think, failed his SATS test, didn't he? Yeah. It was just, he you know, probably terribly. did. Yeah. Yeah. He probably did. Um, which is, which is why I'm trying to, you know, one of the things I'm trying to, to do is talk about this a great deal um, because, and in fact, I've, I've started a new campaign, Chris, called Free Writing Friday. Oh, that's nice. Thank yeah. you. Which is 15 minutes every Friday in the school year for children to write whatever they want. Okay. On, on walls, Krista? No, no, they oh, have to have okay. a special book. Oh, all right, okay. all right. A special book, whatever. Um, which the teacher can't mark, okay? <laughs> no rules, no marking, just fun. Who thinks that would be a good idea? Yeah, the definitely the one at the back, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Who thinks, so where it doesn't matter what your spelling is like, it's all about, so you could write, you could make up your own game, you could design your own, you know, video thing, you could do whatever you want. I like you where want. you're going with this, Krista, because I, I often thought it would be nice, as a parent, when yeah. my children used to bring back their school reports, and there would be sort of, you know, teachers would comment, you know, and give, give grades and stuff. I often wondered, wouldn't it be good if children could give the teachers a report? Yeah. Um, that would be great. Or, or possibly, and I took this a little too far, that children could give their parents a report. <laughs> Must do better. No, just really not reading enough at bedtime. Um, really should work on that creative play. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think we could institute because, this. Because the thing... Because... Um, I hope I've it's in your a, ideas book. It probably is. Actually, even before, sorry, Chris, even before you're going to do the ideas okay. book, I'm going to show you... Oh, can we quickly snip, nip, go back to my um, PowerPoint as well? I want to show a picture of me when I'm nine <laughs> years old, OK? This is a picture of me when I'm nine years old. And this picture I'm writing, and in all the pictures of me, and I bet the pictures of you, Chris, my goodness... When you were nine years old, were you always writing and drawing? And no, I was lurking at the really? back of the class photograph in a home knitted jumper <laughs> uh, that I, I had to wear. You know, my mother, you know, you would weren't drawing. insist. Uh, no, I was looking very awkward. You weren't. A little bit shadowy. Drawing. Really? My school report, my teacher wrote, um, Chris is disturbingly quiet. <laughs> That got you my parents see, thinking. It's interesting, say, you yeah. never know. Because I was always drawing or reading or writing, but I'll let you into a secret. My handwriting was terrible, okay? And so was my spelling, okay? But it's not, and I show you this picture because I don't want a kid who struggles with the handwriting and the spelling to think it's about that at the end of the day. It's about your ideas. Krista, yeah? your and handwriting is prove. fantastic. This is, this is me. Can we go back to the PowerPoint? I mean, to the visualise again. This is, a, this is my free, one of my free writing <gasps> Friday books. I am Beautiful. nine years old when I did this. Yeah. Um, Notice, my handwriting is not too good, and I can't even spell my own name. My name was Cressida Hare, H-A-R-E, yeah? But I spelled it H-A-I-R, yeah? But... And that was before Instagram names and everything. It's great. Now you could be Cressida Hare. But I am drawing... In this little book, I'm drawing sprites, yeah? <laughs> I am drawing the things that ended up being my Wizards of Once, and then people make, are making, gonna make films about them, and oh my goodness, and they're selling <laughs> books about them and everything. And it all started here when I was nine years old. Is there anybody in this room who is nine years old and who would secretly like to write and illustrate and be, yeah, free writing Friday, even if they won't let you do it at school, do it at home. I'm liking this. Yeah. I'm liking this. Saturday, I like Saturday. <laughs> 
That's a good one. The creative um, Shakespearean yes. spelling of Saturday. Yeah. I know what it's not about your spelling, it's about your ideas. And children are the most creative people in the world before we educate it out of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so down, down anyway. with school, I think, is what Cressler just said. Um. <laughs> no, I'm just trying to... to I'm just trying to, to say that uh, sometimes I think something has got lost. Pure creativity has got lost in the system because it's hard to mark, yeah? And this Sophie would be hard to mark. Sophie slid down into the kitchen <laughs> and started making dandelion liver and daisy rice pudding. But the thing is, you see, that wouldn't Chapter necessarily get two. me... <laughs> Sophie... In Sophie's hole, you can't... Yeah, in oh, Sophie. my goodness. OK, well, right, let's move on. Let's move on. <laughs> and I've drawn what's in there. I mean, this might not get me a very good mark in my... It wouldn't, would it? I see somebody... However, I'm probably not using wow words. I'm probably... But do you know what I'm doing? I'm enjoying myself. Yeah? The joy of writing. The joy... <laughs> the joy of writing. Anyway... It all, <laughs> it all starts here. Anyway, so there we go. Um, and it ends up here. Look at this in Cresta's Ideas book. That's my free writing prize. This book. is beautiful, beautiful um, handwriting here. Hand lettering is fantastic. And as we go into this book, this is very special. This is like going into. This is the first book Cressida's I ever had published, Cressida's Mind, by the I way, love this. Which is yeah. called Little Bo Peep's Library Book, 20 years ago, yeah. Did she actually return that library book? <laughs> the fines must be colossal. And look, it? It, has, it has all these little books that you're taking out of the... I wrote this book, by the way, on, oh, on my degree. This is, uh, this is when I was being a student at Brighton. Well, that's right, well. that's right. Yeah. Not at the same time. Very I, good I, I was slightly before you, wasn't I, um, Were you? Oh, yes, I did. I'm very old. Very um, <laughs> I, I, was in, I, I left in 84, 1984, which at the time was a very, very interesting date where we should have been ruled over by Big Brother. It's taken a little longer, obviously, for that to come about. But... Oh, okay, can I just say, as, as I'm drawing this, okay, okay this, is, this is a little library book which had actual little books that you can kind of take out, yeah? But this is the layout of the entire book, 24 pages or whatever. Oh, I love two that, pages. yes. And I've scribbled it out, and I'm doing, you know, what's written on every single page there. That's, and and that's this is you're... a really good way, isn't it, to, to actually see a book in its entirety, because usually we, we turn pages of what we go through when, when we are actually doing some artwork. But as a beginning, it's great to actually just see the entire book in miniature. And I do this all the time, Cresta, when I'm planning a book. Right. I do little, th I call them thumbnails, little thumbnails of the entire book, um, all the way through to the end in miniature. And when I finish, I have this lovely feeling that I've actually done the book. Right, OK. <laughs> Until my editor calls up and says, where's the book? You've got to do it. And I, oh, yes, I forgot that bit, you know, the actual finishing. But, but this is a lovely process, isn't it? Yeah, and then I'm starting to get into the little characters. And, uh, but the, and, and then, the, then there'll be other ideas in here. What we're leading up to is the first picture of Hiccup that I ever drew. Oh. And can I say, this is all done in the context later on, as I've just had a baby. Yeah, and there's a moment when anybody who's had a baby knows when there's a moment when you look in the back of the car and you think, they're going to let me out of hospital with a baby? I know nothing about babies. Yeah, isn't that? And so you start looking back... I seem to remember that at some point, yes. So you start looking back to your own childhood and thinking, you know, how was I brought up? And, um, oh, where am I going? Yes, how was I brought up? And... Um, and this is the first picture that I drew of Hiccup and his father, Stoic. Oh, the wonderful, yeah. wonderful. How did my parents grow up? And that's the first words I wrote where there were dragons when I was a boy. A great grim sky dragons that nested on the clifftops like gigantic scary birds. Trying to know. Yeah. And this is a story about that's, growing up, basically. I was not in that put, at the heroism business. Give me resting this book away from Cressida. Her own book. I've just taken it out of her, yeah, yeah, her yeah. hands. But that's lovely. I love yeah. to see. Look from there to, to there. there. My goodness, that's a journey, isn't it? It's a journey, and but it's also and a journey look, back in time. You you made a mistake there. You see, <laughs> <Just> wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, 
The, yes, going back to my own childhood, just can we quickly nip back to that picture of me on the island? Because this is a real place. And I often think, I often say that writing is like telling a really big lie. The more detail you put into the lie and the more you base it on a tiny grain of truth, the more it comes alive in your reader's head. Yeah. And there's a posh, and that goes for everything about writing. So if I say that Stoic has a big red beard, shut your eyes, can you see the beard? Kind of. If I say Stoic has a beard like exploding fireworks or like a hedgehog struck by lightning, you can see the beard more clearly because I base it on the senses, something you can smell, touch, see, hear. When did, also, you, when did you see word. that hedgehog struck by lightning? <laughs> That's a terrifying image. It's a terrifying That's... image, isn't it? Mm, mm. But, I do, but the thing is, is it, everything, there's a posh word for it, which is research. And so I do loads of research into real things to make my life feel real. And you, you will do the same, Chris. Well, sort make... of, Cresta. What I do a lot of research into is entirely imaginary things. Yeah. It feels the same way, mm -hmm. but it's entirely in my head. Right. Um, okay. So I will go for journeys, and we're going to have a look at some maps, aren't we? Yeah, as we well, are. As well. have some... uh, I go for long journeys to entirely imaginary places, um, mm -hmm. and then pretend they're real. And you might actually rent an Airbnb, you know, in in this imaginary place. Full yes, but of you've goblins. worked it out in de detail, haven't you? You've, I do. You've, you've I do. constructed it as if you are. If it is real, and it's been based on something. Okay, I might just, on something, this is a real place. The Isle of Burke is a real place. This is the island that I spent a lot of time on as a child. We were dropped off by a local boatman. I mean, that my parents were mad. My father, Stoic the Vast, he is Stoic the Vast. <laughs> We'd be dropped off on a, this island by a local boatman and picked up again two weeks later. Nothing That's on what this I call childcare. That, that, that's okay. fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> no, with, with the parents. Oh, oh I see. But no oh, mobile okay. phone, yeah. no way of contacting the outside world if something goes wrong. So these are fantasy books, but they're based on something true. By the time I was nine, my dad had a house built on the island, and then we spent the whole summer on the island, and that is us running wild all over that little island, yeah? You can see us at the bottom there, run, running wild, because the notion of childcare in the 1970s was to open up the front door and boot the kids out and say, bye kids. Yes. Come yes. back when you're hungry. And so, and that was the place that the Vikings first came to when they invaded Great Britain. You can see up from Norway, and it was the first place they left. So the west coast of Scotland, where the little island was, um, sorry, go back. There were, there were lots of stories about, because Vikings believed that dragons really that, existed. <laughs> so there were lots of stories about dragons, and there was one about a dragon that had turned into a, a mountainside. And could anybody see something weird? And you look very grown up for a nine-year-old there, Chris. I'm now, just saying. That was two years ago. <laughs> oh, okay. uh, but can you see what does that hillside look like at the back of that little island where I spent the whole of my summer holidays as a child? What does it look like? I think it looks like a sleeping dragon. It looks exactly like the back of a sleeping dragon. Excellent. You see, because you're an illustrator, so mm. you can see. So these stories, stories come from somewhere, I suppose, and is what I'm trying to say. just out of picture is that, that burning hedgehog. <laughs> I can't quite see it, but, but yeah, that's very amazing. But you see, How wonderful. But we do treat, we take things, we build our fantasies on something that is true. Um, and also there's another kind of emotional truth. So, this picture, can we, can we go back to this? This is based on my father, Stoic is my father and my feelings of looking up, this is a true thing, looking up to my father and thinking, I'm never gonna grow up to being somebody like him because he's so brave and yeah. How interesting, I mean, you know, let me just yeah. very quickly, Cresta, sort of introduce yeah. um, you know, my take on this, since we, yeah. we seem to be going down a sort of childcare route and, and how we, yeah. we, we, we've been influenced. Now, um, in both these books, um, the parents are almost entirely absent. Ooh, that's really um, interesting, because lots of children... Particularly the father. Happens. Yeah, particularly right. the father. Um, in fact, in this book, Goth Girl, the father, um, Lord Goth, is a cycling poet who um, <laughs> uh, believes that children should be heard and not seen. Um, heard and not seen? And, so he gets his daughter to wear very big, clumpy boots that make a lot of noise when she walks down the corridors of their big country house so he can hear her coming and go into his study where he's not to be disturbed. Um, <laughs> now, my parenting skills, um, I, I don't know whether subconsciously I've been expressing 
my parenting skills, um, the idea of actually taking my children to an island and then leaving <laughs> feels very appealing to me. I, I just, you know... They were there. Very constructive. They were um, there. So it was just that, that, you know, we couldn't contact anyway, but yeah. Ossaline's parents, they travel the world and leave her quite literally home alone. And she has to rely on what, when I wrote these, we didn't actually have um, Uber and, and Deliveroo. Um, I like to think that whoever invented delivery read Ossoline mm -hmm. and decided that the home-cooked meal company was a good idea because uh, in Ossoline she has her meals delivered to her because there's no parent in, in, in the house to look after This her. is a very interesting thing because I have noticed that parents are often absent in children's books. Harry Potter, no parent. Yes. I mean, Peter Pan, the adventure happens when you get away from parents. <laughs> um, and I think that's quite an interesting um, thing that happens. Lots of orphans in children's literature. Um, and... Um, Daisy. That's, that, no, that's Maisie. Maisie. That's my daughter. Oh, Ma that's the baby oh, that. drawing in my Beautiful. book. Beautiful. Um, so I have written, yeah, Maisie. That's her. And where is Maisie now? She's at Brighton Art School. Brighton Art School. <laughs> 21. Look at that, yes. They grow up. How wonderful. And I think Maisie's ears are probably burning as we speak. Um, you know, to uh, her very first artwork is being shown at the Royal Academy. <laughs> um, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, and this is a book that never happened, you know, so, and that's again Maisie scribbling in it, yeah? So this is about, you know, I don't know what it's about. It's about, it's, uh, it seems to be about aliens. Wonderful. <laughs> I, I have so many books that haven't happened. Yeah. Um, in fact, what I do, I mean, you know, insight into my working process, Cresta, mm -hmm. and I want to hear about mm -hmm. yours as well. But, but my, my sort of process is to, um, you know, sort of usually um, uh, sort of, I find my most productive times possibly um, is midnight, mm -hmm. maybe midnight um, in my studio at the bottom of my garden. Um, really? Yep, yeah, uh, wearing um, a sort of uh, a large linen shirt. See, with, it's like magic. With, with calves like that, you know, writing quill pen <laughs> on parchment by candlelight, just, just, you know, and, and just having the most brilliant, brilliant ideas. They just flow. Uh, I, I don't know where my ideas come from. It's just one of those, those things. Um, just, just a wonderful, and, and in, in, in the hush of the midnight hour, just coming up with these, these wonderful, wonderful ideas for stories, characters, things that can work. And then having this moment, the next morning, the candles have all burnt down. I come you, in. Then you thought you were a genius. Yes, and I then come the in. I, 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 I look, and you know, I've I've drawn sort of, I don't know, something. <laughs> three best, <laughs> three-breasted mermaids riding dinosaurs. You know, and I think, what was I thinking? What? It's just not, you know, just just not right at all. And then what I do, and this is my method, mm -hmm. I never ever throw anything away. Mm -hmm. uh, what I do is I have plan chests in my studio and I have what I call, it's a, I have a big plan chest with about 20 drawers. The very bottom drawer is what I call the naughty drawer. And that's where I put these, these ideas, these books that never happen, these ideas for things. I put them in the naughty drawer, I close the naughty drawer. And then maybe once every sort of year or so, I'll open the naughty drawer and just peer inside. Mm. and see if anything's happened. If, if, you know, maybe Brexit has happened, it's time for that, that book. Uh, maybe something else has changed. Maybe I just feel differently about what's gone. And then I might bring, bring that out um, and create a book. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so never throw anything away. Uh, and do this as well. Keep all your ideas mm -hmm. for books that never happen in a beautiful sketchbook. Like this. I yeah. mean, this is such a treat, Krista. Stories for Grown Up. That never happened. Wonderful. That never went what anywhere. A great title. <gasps> the Headmaster. <laughs> that. They look rather worried. <laughs> Whatever he's going to. But I like the Headmaster has his bottle, you know, 
<laughs> when he needs it, I like that. This is, why isn't this a book? I know. Oh, good. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't know. It never quite made it. Great heroes of childhood. childhood. I don't know what I'm doing there. Anyway, shall I quit? Shall I quit? Oh, God, because we're going to run out of time. Shall I show, <laughs> shall I show the, this is the book yes, about, this yes. is a more, How wonderful. this is the book about Wizards of Put Once. Put that away. That's the, and I never bring these, by the way. This is the genesis of, I mean, it's not, it's too big to fit in the. It's almost too big to, to fit in, but we'll, we'll, we'll sort of, you know, open this wonderful spelling book. Oh, wow. And you'll see how it starts with a feather. Um, uh, and I, at this point, I haven't constructed the world or thought of anything in the story. The witch feather. Tell me about the witch feather. The witch feather is where it all begins. They discover this great big witch feather at the beginning of the story. Does it belong to a feathered witch? Yeah. Oh, oh God, fantastic. The witches are really scary. <gasps> oh. They really scare my... Oh, and you see, I'm beginning to... I go back. This, this is here. inspired yep. by Sussex. So I say, the past is another country, they do things differently there. That's a lovely quote. Anyway, so I start, this is inspired by uh, Sussex. Um, so this is me in Sussex. Um, this is such a great idea, actually, Cresta. This looks like a really literary sort of, I don't know, um, blackmail note or something. <laughs> it's fantastic, pass through, yes, and look, I have the proof. My goodness, wow, yeah. it's and, and these And these hills, there was all these, yeah, that's us in Sussex as children. Um, so these hills, were, there were all these um, extraordinary mounds that people didn't know what, who made the mounds. And, so, and there were all these stories about fairies that were living in that landscape. Um, and then there were these, these huge forts that were Iron Age hill forts. And so all of these, again, this comes from something, the lie comes from something real. Um, and this, is this a line, actually? From, for, did you use this in, in the I book? I did this in a... Oh, no. I never use this. this Once is just upon a dark, dark time, time when England was all wildwood and, and the, the woods, woods were full of whispers. Oh, it's quite cool. <laughs> and you didn't use this? No. And the okay, eyes right, of witches. <laughs> that was Perfect. a time Perfect. of witches. Witch is good and witch is bad. Mm. I'm just getting into... I'm writing a poem just to get yes. into the world. Which is good and which is bad are fairies that tumble through the greenery, giants moving slow and careful through the undergrowth, peaceable as babies and gentle as elephants. Back ah. in those dark... Yeah, no, never used any of it. <laughs> but just getting into the mindset of the world and using a lovely splashy mm. ink pen mm. and making a big fat mess to get into the world. And then who would save the magic? You know, what's happened to the magic? Look, one of my themes are about um, the wilderness and, and looking after wilderness and, you know, the forest. And I have a lot of environmental themes. And I am a character in this story who sees everything, knows everything. I will not tell you who I am. See if you can guess. Yeah. Um, and this, the story begins here. Don't get lost. These woods are dangerous. Wow. And the, hot, the, the thing of the who is narrator is... is Mark the Zuckerberg. <laughs> no, sorry. Um, yeah. <laughs> who is the narrator? Is anybody reading these books? Have you got an idea about who the narrator might be? Who do you think? Does anybody know, think who the narrator might be? I'm putting everybody on the spot. Could be anybody. That's one of the things about getting into the story is that you're trying to discover who the narrator is in the books. Breakneck and the... Rip Grizzle, the witches. Rip, they haven't appeared yet. Rip Grizzle, the witches. Wow. And that is one of the witches. That is one of the witches. Pretty that scary. That is very scary. I don't think witches have been this scary since Roald Dahl, I think. That's yeah. just fantastic. But one of the things that I think about stories is that I want to move the reader. I never dumb down, ever. We were talking about this earlier. Yes. I never dumb down. I use... Um, and, and not just Chris, I use some quite long, long words and, and kind of long, big ideas because children are so smart. They're so clever. So my themes are often about, you know, looking after the environment. What is your responsibility as a leader? Um, it's about, you know, Wizards of Once is about, it's a story with two heroes, a world split in two. And can, the two heroes are from two different tribes. Um, Wish is a, is a warrior. Um, and Zara is a wizard, and they've been brought up to hate each other like poison, yeah? And can these two children see each things from each other's point of view? These are quite big themes <laughs> going on in these books. But I present them in a very visual kind of a way, and both Chris yes. and I do that. So if you notice in both these books, um, 
they're highly visual. Um, and um, I'm going to talk about the different styles of illustration that I do. I try and make no, my, my books look like they've been down to the bottom of the sea and scratched by dragons. Wonderful. And the illustrations are ripping through them. My, mine are, are very visual, Cresta, because I've worked with a lot of writers who believe words are very, very important. And, <laughs> and you're trying to upstage they, them. They, they take up all the room, you see. So when I came to write my own, I thought, I know I'm going to have much more space for, for illustration. Right. Um, uh, because I'm not a writer. Um, right. I'm an illustrator who writes. So I can have pages that are just full of uh, illustrations and the words are secondary. The words are the small bits in, in my right. books, you see. Um, and sometimes you don't need words at all. No. You can go straight into a sequence where you're reading a book. This, mm -hmm. this is, um, again, something that uh, you can do in, in fiction. Um, this is uh, Ossoline. She mm -hmm. is visiting 4th Street Books. She's looking in the window and she sees some of the books that she's, she's enjoyed as a child. Mm -hmm. Bimble the Bunny. She loved Bimble the Bunny when she was little. Um, mm -hmm. The Sad Tale of Lionel. She would read that during weeping workshop at, at her school. That's when they read sad books and just teared up a bit. <laughs> very, very emotional. Uh, Whistle of the Wild, that's Tales of Animal Hitchhiking by Thor Thorinson. Uh, very useful if you're trapped and you need to sort of hitchhike a, a ride on a whale. And then she sees this other book, which looks really interesting, and it's called... Ooh. Goth Girl and the Ghost of a Mouse by someone called Chris Riddell. And, and it's in, in this book. And she goes in, and there's a, a, a little girl who runs the bookshop who recommends it. Recommends it. It's a very, very good book, she said. Very, very good book. Um, um, and, but, then, uh, and then she reads it uh, to, to her best friend, um, Mr. Munro, at bedtime. And she falls asleep and has a dream. And so this is Ottoline meeting Ada Goth from Goth Girl and dreaming oh, she's living in that world. Crossing your two... Oh, I know. There world they are. cross. Exactly. I was often asked, could Ottoline meet Ada? Could our two characters meet? And I used to say, no, no, of course not. It's a different time period, a very different world. Well, you sort of can meet in the pages of a book, can't In the pages you? of a book. I in mean, your imagination. What you're trying to... What I think is very important, whatever you're doing, whether you're writing books or um, making movies or whatever, is you want to move... The reader. So what you're doing there is you're making everybody laugh, and we get the instant reaction there. Uh, other times, like with that scary, which I'm trying to scare you, but Jesus out of you there, because that's then I'm trying to do something. You know, I'm trying to do something different uh, um, in those illustrations. Other times I might be trying to make you think. Other times I might be. Now this um, is beautiful, Cresta. That this uh, this drawing catches my eye. Now this is drawn in pencil. This is drawn in pencil. And in this drawing, I'm trying to make you... Some of my drawings, I'm just trying to um, get you through this. They're very excitable, mark-making kind of drawings. Um, and in other types of drawings, I'm trying to immerse you in the world. So it's two different types of drawing. Um, and as you go through the book series, just to make it a bit more complicated, I, don't, I want to come back to that mm. drawing. But, for instance, Hiccup will start out like this, and a character like Snotlout we start out like that. And these are kind of quite cartoony types of drawings. Um, but then as you go through the book, of this 12 book series, I start doing more detail kind of drawings and Snotlout evolves into being, that's Hiccup, he's a little bit more of a real person there because I'm trying to tell a story that moves you rather than a story that is just funny. Do you see what I mean? So the drawing style echoes and you see how this feels like you could really... Be, you do a lot of this style mm. of drawing. Not necessarily in Goth Girl, but if you're doing your um, older fantasy books, don't yes, you? Yes, yes, so certainly. Bit more... Illustrating Neil Gaiman, that's always yes, a good exactly. uh, chance to do that sort and of thing. And it makes you feel like you're really in that world. And this so is, you uh, are that hero riding on that dragon. So do you see how it's and a different And this is lovely, Cresta, because it goes to the actual edges of the page. So you get that sense of the book as a framing device, and you can open it up, the, the wing almost folds where the book folds. Yeah. Um, and this is something that illustration can do in chapter books. It can just take you 
on her journey. It can, it can sort of flesh out the entire world. And, it and, can... and you're particularly, Chris is particularly good at that. This is something I've really had to work at, guys, by the way. I'm not naturally good at this kind of thing. I do a lot of research on the internet, you know, to make a dragon look like a dragon or anything. My kids laugh like drains. We all drew a pair, and I drew the pair with the stalk on the wrong end of the, of the pair. Oh That's how bad my... Vi but I'm very good at emotional drawing, but I have to work on this kind of things. So don't think you have to emerge as a fully... You know, you have to work at this stuff. But I suppose um, that tile of... This one that you picked out, that one's an interesting one, because there I was trying to draw... I looked at Arthur Rackham and old-fashioned ideas of what a sprite might be, but I also looked at punk and... Hang on. Yeah. I looked at... Uh, oh, Alexander yes. McQueen, amazing yeah. designer. This yeah. is Arthur Rackham's old-fashioned illustrations. Oh, um, they are beautiful, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, aren't they Absolutely beautiful? Wonderful. Idea of sprites here. Wonderful. And look. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that's so much better, actually. <laughs> they I'm, I'm just loving laughed. that. They just laughed at oh, me. Wonderful. Apparently, you should know. Very <laughs> 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 good. Very good. Thank you. <laughs> Wonderful, uh, Chris. I'm wondering, now we're going to sort of have some questions, but I'm also uh, very keen to um, actually hear you read something, Krista. Would you read well, Why don't you read first? Okay, I can you do read that. First, All right, I'll, I'll read. What shall I read? Let me just quickly... I know, I know. Here we are. I'm going to read, if I can find it underneath all this, I'm going to read another poem from Poems to Live Your Life by, just because we've been talking about witches, haven't we, and that sort of thing. So here is one of my favourite books, uh, favourite books, favourite poems about witches. Ooh. Who should be scary, I think. If you're going to do a witch, make them scary. And it's always the case. Ah, uh, here it is. I've got it. Here it is. Yeah. So this is by Neil Gaiman, and it's called Ooh. Witch Work. The witch was as old as the mulberry tree. She lived in the house of a hundred clocks. She sold storms and sorrows and calmed the sea, and she kept her life in a box. The tree was the oldest I've ever seen. Its trunks flowed like liquid. It dripped with age. But every September, its fruit stained the green, as scarlet as harlots, as red as my rage. The clocks whispered time when they caught, which they caught in their gears. They crept and they chattered, they chimed and they chewed. She fed them on minutes, the old ones eight years. She feared and loved them, her wild, clocky brood. She sold me a storm when my anger was strong, and my hate filled the world with volcanoes and laughter. I watched as the lightnings and wind sang their song, and my madness was swallowed by what happened after. She sold me three sorrows all wrapped in a cloth, the first one I gave to my enemy's child, the second my woman made into a broth, the third waits unused, for we reconciled. She sold calm seas to the mariner's wives, bound the winds with silk cords so the storms could be tied there. The women at home lived much happier lives till their husbands returned and their patients be tried there. The witch hid her life in a box made of dirt, as big as a fist, as dark as a heart. There was nothing but time there and silence and hurt, while the witch watched the waves with her pain and her art. But he never came back. He never came back. The witch was as old as the mulberry tree, she lived in the house of a hundred clocks. She sold storms and sorrows and calmed the sea, and she kept her life in a box. So for me, that's, that's what a, pictures that's can do with witch. words, you know, when you yeah. have beautiful words like that, and then you, um, you can let your imagination sort of loose on it and, and almost tell a story visually to go along with the words. Mm -hmm. So my thought was that she's obviously lost her 
love, love to, to the ocean, to the sea. He's, yeah, been, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. he's drowned, he's never coming back. And in the end, I think she leaves. I think maybe she meets a fate that sort of witches often met, where sort of people with flaming torches would come and misunderstand the art and whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and here at the end, she's, she's left or disappeared. Yeah. I brought the mood down a little bit, haven't I? I I'm going to close that. Cresta, <laughs> yeah, we need it's, a... We... It's moving, though. It's moving. It's mo that, 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 the stories should be moving, shouldn't they? Whether they're moving you to laugh or to cry. Or yes, to, yes, yes. Or to, um, and what are you uh, going to read? I, I suppose I'm going to read the beginning of... These are all illustrations that I'm doing for the third one in my Wizards of Once series, um, where, um, again, the illustration has, has got more... This is the giant, for example, in the book. That's the giant. Um, and he, he's called Crusher. Um, and this is the children at the beginning of the book are um, flying away on the back of a door. And what is happening with Crusher's um, hair? Oh, his head is on... He's a philosopher giant, mm. so he's thinking in great thoughts and his head is on fire wow. and gently smoking. Oh my, oh, my goodness. Didn't you wow. realise that about giants? No, I didn't. I didn't. That, that's fantastic. <laughs> so, sort of, you see, uh, you know, that he's thinking, must be... He's a big creature, so he's thinking big thoughts, wow. like how many universes are there? And, you know, if there are multiple universes, is there another giant in the... Uh, you know, all of those kind of things he's thinking. It's tragic, as though, he wanders. Um, Cresta, because giants will have died out after the smoking ban. Um, <laughs> it's just one of those things. Unless they've turned to vaping, which could be a, a different could philosophy, a couldn't it? I think but, but that's wonderful. I love that, that visual sort of image of, of your thoughts of actually being, yes, being on fire. On fire. Hang on, I just lost the picture of Bodkin. Um, so basically, this, this, this book, uh, they are running away. The children are running away. And I've lost my picture. Um, I hope I didn't bring it and lose it on the way. Um, anyway, um, oh no, maybe it's here. Oh yes, yes, you can see the heroes are outcasts in, in these pictures. And so you can see how um, the way I'm drawing them at the beginning is um, you can see the effects of uh, the fact that they're being, you know, they're being chased through the wild woods. The two heroes have, have banded together near. The, now, they can see things from each other's point of view um, and they've banded together, but unfortunately now they're outcasts because wizards and warriors should never work together. And Wish has a secret, which is that she's a warrior, but she's secretly magic. And behind that, she has a magic eye. Um, behind, so, behind her eye behind patch. Behind her eye patch, mm -hmm. yeah. What does a magic um, eye look like? Oh, I wish I could show... Hang on, I can show you. Uh, I, I happen to have a, mag a picture here that shows you <laughs> what the magic eye looks like. Um, and the magic eye is, um, is a colour that you've never seen before, yeah? And so you can't imagine what it, that colour might be because how could you imagine what a colour might be if you've never... Unfortunately, Christopher has illustrated in black and white. So, yes. so that's not an issue. So, yes, exactly. So that's the magic oh my eye with my nose. Wow. It's I being say, very magic there, isn't it's it? It's being very uh, magic there. Yeah. It's letting out a lot of magic there. And um, does she have to sort of, you know, shut it off on, with, with, the, with the eye patch? Yes, yes. Oh, Taking look, off look, the eye that, patch. That, that's yeah, pretty that's magic pretty as well. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, it all kind of explodes. There's a kind of sense in which the... Is you know, the e magic is almost not contained by the pages of this book, you can imagine. Is it an one. evil eye? Really does, it, does it do things? You just have to be able to control it. Okay, right. What yeah. a useful thing to have, um, to be able useful just to give someone terrifying. a really filthy look. Useful and also terrifying, and she has to be able to control it. I've got a better picture somewhere of the magic eye, but I can't remember where. Oh, yeah, there. There's ah, the magic eye. Ah, look at that. Sort of gently, gently smoking. Have you seen that... Uh, I think Cressida has got, I think, a bit of a sort of thing about sort of things being on fire uh, and exploding, you know, heads and eyes and, yeah. and things. My, and my unfortunately, at the beginning of this book, this next book, the last book, Queen Sycorax has set the whole forest on fire. Um, I'm sure I've got a good picture of that, of the forest on fire. And again, the mark making, and that I'm sort of exploring mark making when I'm trying and to Chris make. And Chris has got a new plan, I think, on a Friday, which is called Play With Matches Friday. <laughs> it's quite an interesting thing. It could work very well, I, I, oh, I feel. Yes. Uh, 
That's Sycorax scenting the, the forest on fire. Oh, so the, that's a blaze. That's a fire. And it, it, it creates a kind of, I think, quite a... What it's supposed to... I mean, it's, it's mark, that is pure mark-making. And then I've attacked the, 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 the thing with, with um, a rubber. You know, so I'm using pure, rather out of control. Now that's the way to and use a rubber. That. That's fantastic. I think not to rub things out, but to make yes, new to marks. Mark. How fantastic! And, and I'm doing that to give you the feeling that the story is ever so slightly out of control, mm. and that's quite intentional. At I this do that point, intentional. Like at Roald this point, Charles, I'm going to have to control Cresta. Can you oh, see? No, can... <laughs> I'm going to have to bring you under control and insist that you read something okay. for us. Okay, Dahl. No, before I do, Roald Dahl started off. Um, a story with um, the hero's parents being eaten by a rhinoceros, okay? As soon as that happens, you know you're in the hands of somebody who will make anything happen. Oh, that's good, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so part of it, that is to make you feel, oh my goodness, anything could happen here. This story is ever so slightly un out of control. And that, very effective in Harry Potter as well. Hmm? You always felt that J.K. Rowling could possibly kill Harry off, yeah? And that makes the peril feel more real. Do you see what I mean? It does, but I always had a nagging feeling throughout Harry to. Potter that Voldemort wouldn't win in the end. Really? I know, it's just one of those things. I always, just something told me he wasn't going to win. I, I know what you mean. Mm. However, I do think that J.K. Rowling felt like the kind of... I mean, she killed off Dob Dobby or whatever. Oh, my God. From that moment, you think, oh, my oh goodness... My Anything could happen here. Okay, this is where and it's you the same need... with Game of Thrones. Incidentally, kids way you too need Paul young Smith and his to socks, watch that. But I seriously, what... as soon as that happens, you know that that whoever's writing this, anything could happen. So we're gonna have some time for some questions. I didn't um, read my thing after your reading. <laughs> yeah, Krista. After the reading, I was just trying to get you the idea of them being in a bad state, and you can see how they've moved from at the beginning. They were in quite a sort of merry way, yeah. <laughs> they were, they looked much better, <laughs> yeah. This was this at the beginning, okay. And as the story goes on, um, that's Zara at the beginning. Oh, yeah, you're quite right, that's Zara. And as it goes on, this is him at the beginning of the third book. You can see he's had a bit of an accident with some wyverns. And this is saying, this is Squeeze Juice, his sprite, who is always leading into terrible trouble. But Squeeze Juice... Sort of, you would never lead leads us into any trouble. My God. He's and he sort of would. Oh, my God. Yeah, OK, right. He's going to lead goodness. him into terrible trouble. And the snowcats, these beautiful snowcats have all, you know, they've, they've ha been in the fight and everything. And you can see how I'm making um, the children sort of transform as you go through the story. Because stories are sort of crucibles where things happen. Yes, absolutely, um, yes. And you want the... I, I, I've been told by my, my editor about arc. You've got to have a story arc. I, I like the opposite, you know, where just, you know, you have an ordinary sort of day. But, yes. uh, but it's rather sort of strange. Um, but everyone seems to like story arcs. We've got to learn. We've got to grow. We've got to go on a journey. I like staying at home, <laughs> maybe. Just, just well, sort you of don't read my mucking story. about. Yeah, yeah. Okay. You don't read my stories <laughs> there because um, I want to hear so, your story. Are you going to read? Yes, I. Good. Read, <laughs> really? read me something. Shall I read it? Yes. yes. So basically, this, in this book, it's this was a story about two heroes, and it's where you suddenly learn that it's a story about three because it's a story about Bogkin, um, who um, who. Uh, who's a sort of assistant bodyguard, but you realise that he's one of the heroes as well. I'm going to put that this, there. Krista, put that there. This one. There, and but I'll move just over so that you can, you can read and we can okay. see, we can see the book as you read. Once upon a time, 3,000 years ago, at the end of the era, that would later be known as the Bronze Ages. You see how technical I am. Hmm. Yeah. A fantasy book. The whole of the Bashars were covered in wild woods. Good things lived in the wild woods, animals, magic creatures, and humans who minded their own business. But bad things lived there at that time too. Some very bad things. Two of these bad things were fluttering above the forest even now. The bad things were presently invisible, but if human eyes could have seen them, I could tell you they had soft black wings like the wings of crows and fingers that ended in talons like a bird of prey on their right hands and noses a little like a beak. In fact, they were witches, not good witches, but very bad witches indeed. And they were flying high just below the clouds. And as they flew, they were watching something down below. The something. 
something with a door. And instead of being where a door really ought to be vertically opening and shutting in between rooms safely down in the ground in an orderly kind of way, this particular door was flying through the air flat in its front like a carpet just above the level of the treetops. It was the little moving speck of the flying door that had first attracted the witches' noses as they flew a lazy brushstroke in the strong currents of air miles above the trees on their way back to their nest in the Lacrimose Mountains and had made them to swoop down and investigate. But it wasn't the door itself that was holding their attention. There were three children lying on their stomachs on top of the flying door. The invisible witches looked down at the children, and the children looked down over the edge of the flying door, looking for something down in the forest. So this book starts with a witch attack. <laughs> it's fairly, um, it starts quite sort of um, excitably. The witches were hungry. Um, These um, are not nice witches, by the um, way. But they're not just women witches, they're men and women witches, because they're not that old-fashioned idea of witches. They're like, more like Voldemort. Um, so hungry that long drips of black saliva were dripping from their lips. They hadn't seen so anything so delicious as these children in weeks, no, perhaps years. And that will give you an idea why people didn't really like witches, <laughs> either in the Bronze Ages or in any other age that the witches happened to turn up in. Uh, and they're particularly interested in, in Wish because her magic is a magic that works on iron. I'm very excited, Cresta, because you do have footnotes. Look at this, it's, it's a footnote. Thorsi Gnogtui era, wind breakneck, waggling his nose from side to side. Yui si yobon kizuiti, or do you know do like a part? Footnote, footnote, here we are, down here. Witches speak the same language as we do, but each individual word is back to front. This means, What's it doing out here? Why is nobody protecting them? Do you think it could be a trap? My goodness, I love a good footnote. Can I show you my footnotes? Yes, please do. Uh, there's the, I have a book with footnotes as well, just, just coincidentally. Uh, my footnotes, um, this book, there's a little warning. <laughs> this book contains footnotes <laughs> by the severed foot of a famous writer who lost the aforementioned foot at the Battle of Baden-Baden-Württemberg-Baden. So they're very particular footnotes. Um, can I just turn to, I think I might have shared this with you a little bit earlier. This is a very important footnote. Um, again, in the wrong book. Um, here we are. This is a footnote. This is a footnote concerning this character. Oh my God. Okay. How has he got in there? The name's Donald Ear Trumpet, the man said. He had what looked like a raccoon skin hat on his head. Footnote. Um, in fact, it wasn't uh, a hat at all, but Donald Ear Trumpet's actual hair combed over his head from behind one ear. His famous friend, Davy Crockett, didn't realise this and copied Donald by wearing a real raccoon skin hat. I think, unfortunately... Unfortunately... Oh, well, thank, thank you for you giving us ten more minutes. fantastic Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, have a look at what else is coming up in our brand new lecture theatre at roy.ac forward slash what's on. <laughs>